Hello everyone, welcome to Anime Ichiban, Goobastom's dedicated anime podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Ponte, and as always, I'm joined by Harry Morris and Kyle Rogachon. I said it right this time. And <laughs> I, I say I say as always, but keen-eared listeners might notice something a little bit different. Yes, that's right. We've set our mic des- mic gains up a whole two decibels. I'm amazed. No, no, no. Okay, obviously, yes. I'm hosting the podcast this week. We're trying something a little bit different, and we're going to see how it goes. So with that, Harry, how's it going over in your land? It's, it's going good. We've had a lot of rain in England. Uh, I've just woken up from a nap, so I'm really, really tired. I'm still kind of dazed, so... Is that like 8 p.m. for you? Uh, no, it's 6 p.m., but oh, I was okay. tired. So I had a nap from uh, 4 p.m. until... No, okay. about 3... No, half <laughs> 2. Half 2 until half 5. Well, had a afternoon long naps nap. are nice. <laughs> yeah, That's afternoon a big nap. meeting nap. Uh, it, it was good, yeah. So I'm, I'm still feeling a bit dazed, though, but uh, yeah. I'm okay. I'm all good. Yeah, that's about like the latest possible time frame I can take a nap without it starting to affect my sleep schedule at night. If I take mm. a nap after five, then like goodbye falling asleep on time. So that's yeah, like you're, right you're the like, I feel like when you're having a nap in the evening, you're not really being an adult anymore, <laughs> unfortunately. Right. Like like people will start to judge you. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, I nailed it. I absolutely fucking smashed it on the nap times this time. So. You sure did. Yay me. Yay. Well, Kyle, can you top that? Do you have better napping habits? Uh, no, I have worse napping habits. <laughs> um, so over the, the weekend, um, I went to uh, back to California to visit my family because my brother was graduating high school. Uh, uh-huh. But what that meant was as soon as I came back, I didn't really have like time for myself. Uh, so I got back, I hung out with my roommate, we played magic, and then I right, stayed up until like 3 or 4 a.m. Oh. So what that meant was like I was running off on four hours of sleep for the next day. And I thought, oh, I'll be fine. Nice. I'm going to do an eight-hour shift at work and then go exercise for like an hour and then immediately pass out when I get home at like 8 p.m. and then wake up at 11. So... Yeah, that was. I have bad napping habits, so not. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that was deliberate. Well, maybe a little deliberate. Just an unfortunate circumstance based on your schedule. Un- unfortunate circumstances. That but makes it me sound sounds like, more like it was worth it. It, 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 it was worth it. Ha- it. It was worth it. <laughs> it happens to the best of us. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, it looks like it happened to me. <laughs> I can kind of relate a little bit because last week. Um, I went up north a little bit to the very like the border of Massachusetts and New Hampshire. We went to the beach with some friends. I woke up early to do that. Had a good time there. I got sunburned. I haven't been. I grew up in California, so I grew up basically on the beach. And ever since I moved to Massachusetts like four years ago, mm-hmm. I've been so beach deprived. So I like relished any chance I can get to go yeah, to the yeah, beach. But, but Matt, but Matt, having gone to school on the East Coast. And knowing what East Coast beaches are like, right. they are not beaches. Right? Yeah, they are gravel pits next yeah. to the okay. water. Well, this beach, so the beach specifically <laughs> was Salisbury Beach and like Salisbury Steak, and it did have sand. It was like a nice sand beach, but yeah, there were absolutely no waves or like a few little ripples that you could body surf here. The bo- okay. the water was chilly. It was fifty four degrees, Ugh. which was enough to like if you were moving around, you could be in there for like about thirty minutes and be. Okay. Ugh. <laughs> Well, yeah, we had a good time. I headed a All beach right. workout, of which only like two of my friends joined me in out of like the <laughs> 10 of them that went with us. And I got sunburned. It's all good. And then against my better judgment, the next morning, I woke up early again to join another friend group's uh, running group. And so both weekends, I got 
both days of the weekend, I got up early and then I went into the work week feeling pretty exhausted. So can semi-relate to that. But it's all good because you know what rejuvenated me that happened this past week? Well, anime, but also this little known conference called E3. You may have heard of it. So Goomba Stomp is, it did start off as a video game website. We are affiliated with them and we are all avid gamers. So it'd be remiss for us to not at least touch a little bit on E3, particularly on some of the highlights that happened, such as that amazing Fire Emblem Three Houses trailer. Oh Oh my God. Just all the gameplay too. It it has definitely like assuaged any fears I've had about the game. Um, and it sh- I, I am like 95% hopeful that they are, they have learned their mistakes from awakening and especially face. Yeah. When they said that the child, the child mechanics are gone, I was elated. I'm like, yes, thank yeah. you. Like the, from a raw gameplay perspective, the child units were fun and okay, but they were always shoehorned in, in the w- weirdest ways in the story and the baby dimension. <laughs> right. So the fact that that's gone, I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. Yeah. And that, that there are going to be relationships, but they only take place after this mm-hmm. organic mm-hmm. five-year time skip. It doesn't feel ham-fisted. Yeah, 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 yeah. It has me so hopeful. So yes, I'm yeah. very excited for that. I do think that Nintendo's presentation in general was just fucking awesome. It was so Absolutely. good. Because I was really happy with it. Especially coming off all the other press conferences where like, I feel 80% of the game shown didn't show gameplay. It was a whole mm. lot of CG uh trailers did you you look into bethesda's uh thingy their presentation yeah i watched that and there there are two new announcements really cool like death loop and ghostwire both have me intrigued but yeah big shrug on how they play exactly because did did you did you hear like did you hear the conspiracies though about the crowd oh 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 how there was like a, a hooter in there well like there were people cheering for like the most benign underwhelming announcements yeah Live and announce that we've got a new custom uh, you, you know system, what Honest, Blades, honestly people were fucking like really excited <laughs> yeah. there's this rumor that they're paying certain people oh, yeah. to applaud yeah that's I could believe not that some of them might be getting paid but I could also believe that there are people just that vapid enough to cheer for anything Bethesda throws at them right I know uh, mm. the, the really really noticeable one that was cheering during like the most inane things like that you heard every single time he uh-huh. was actually completely unrelated. He was just some random Twitter influencer that was going Ugh. insane about this stuff, which almost makes it worse. <laughs> but yeah, well, you know, he knows what he's about. Exactly. But yeah, I hope we. It, what was really cool about Nintendo's conference is that we didn't really see that much new. Like, of course, we had Breath of the Wild too, which is mind blowing. But for, Nintendo's yeah. conference show demonstrated that. You don't need to bring all these new things to the table to have a really good conference. You just need to show things. You can show things that excite people about games we already know about. For example, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. What were you gonna say, Kyle? I was just gonna say that, like Nintendo, like they they know how to balance their content because right. it's like it, some years you might have more announcements, some years you have might have more gameplay, as was this year. But they always make sure to have like every little bit of information for like every bit of their fan base so you had a lot of good stuff for smash people you had a lot of good stuff for the fire emblem fans a lot of good stuff for the animal crossing fans all of which are huge chunks of their Mm -hmm. player base and then like a trials of mana remake out of nowhere plus the density mana collection shadow drop to appease the jrpg like they opened up their conference saying 
we want to have a game for everyone watching this. And yeah. usually that's just yep. kind of like lip service. But this is a rare instance where they actually delivered on that. I think no matter what kind of gamer you are, there was something in that presentation that appealed to you, which is mm-hmm. very I, I, difficult I think, to achieve. I mean, out of the whole presentation, I think the only thing that looked boring to me was the Jim Henson's Netflix tie-in. Oh, the Dark uh, Crystal the Dark thing? Crystal? Yeah, that was the only thing I saw that just... I don't know, I just felt like it looks like something I've seen before. It doesn't look like anything particularly exciting. But that said, I'm not every type of gamer. There might have been some people who were like, fuck exactly, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. Um, so yeah, I, I just thought it was really cool. Um, what are your thoughts on Breath of the Wild 2? Because I'm obviously it needs to. Be, fucking- I, I am <laughs> so excited for it to be spookier. I want yeah. Zelda to be scary again. I am yeah. excited because this is the first time in Zelda history... Like Legend of Zelda 2 doesn't count, but this is like an absolute direct sequel. Like Majora's? using the same yeah. asset. Like Majora, yes, there's Majora's, but that's not. Majora's Mask this. is very detached, though. Like, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's separate from Hyrule. Yeah. What I would. But this is part of what I wanted to say. I kind of hope that Breath of the Wild 2 is more like Majora's Mask in the sense of I do want it to be different to Breath of the Wild. Right. And I fucking love Breath of the Wild, but. I don't want to go back in and re-explore the same Hyrule that I've explored for Absolutely. 200 hours already. Yeah. That's one of my fears. Um, now, don't get me wrong, I was initially sceptical of Breath of the Wild because it's like, oh shit, they're changing so many things, but I absolutely loved it. It's not my favourite Zelda game, but it is my favourite open world game of that kind of genre. It mm. is just, mm-hmm. it's the best open world mm-hmm. game ever. Not the best Zelda game, but it is amazing for what it is. Um, but like, yeah, if Breath of the Wild 2 comes along and it's just kind of the same Hyrule, just remixed slightly that would feel quite underwhelming to me. So I kind of want it to be in a totally Well, it's interesting place. how you describe the first Breath of the Wild because what I'm really hoping for 2 to do is for it to be more like a Zelda game. Um, right. Mm. I, I, I want there to be better dungeons. Because yes. um, the Divine Beasts were honestly like one of the weakest parts of the game Absolutely, for me. Yeah. And that, that's a shame because like Zelda is like one, one of the hallmarks of the series is, you know, n- not even just uh dungeon design but like dungeon theming and flavor mm-hmm. yeah that's um, something that i'm oh, sorry finish that's something that yeah. i yeah. really appreciate about this trailer too because that trailer it, and it is a trailer too it's not even a teaser that is a legitimate trailer it was what a minute and 10 seconds long but in was that really? minute oh man yeah it was short like they told us they sent very clear messages to the viewers like all the complaints that we had about the original breath of the wild okay the dungeons are pretty weak well guess what this entire thing is a dungeon, at least in this trailer. Okay, the story wasn't that great. One more personal relationship with Zelda. Well, guess what? You're going to be with her in some very intimate format, and they're hinting at some sort of cooperative experience. And so there's yeah. just like, you want a, yeah, it's just, in such a I, short amount of time, they addressed all those concerns. It could, so well. it could be amazing. And knowing them, it probably will be amazing. And also, they'd surely realize that it's not going to be particularly exciting exploring the exact same high rules. So, mm-hmm. Surely they'd think, yeah, let's really do something to make this feel like a totally different world. Yeah, and I think um, that last shot of the castle rising of the sky is them saying, like, wink, wink, something's yeah. going to happen to this land. I think I think it'll be really cool. I'm like, and whilst I could be skeptical, I also think no, they'll they'll get it, they'll understand, and they'll they'll do the right thing. Yeah. Um, like with Kyle with the dungeons just now, like I completely agree. I love Breath of the Wild, but I do miss the dungeons. I do miss these massive temples. Uh, based on certain elements or certain themes and kind of digging through. Like, like I know Breath of the Wild was about escaping Zelda conventions, 
I fucking love Zelda conventions. Mm-hmm. I love picking up a typical Zelda game and thinking, yeah, let's go to this fire temple and see what we can figure out in it. It's, there's something like endlessly fun about that. So I think, yeah, like the shrines, for example, in Breath of the Wild, they were cool, but I don't want to see them again. Mm-hmm. They were really fun and I liked them in Breath of the Wild, but I don't want to do them all over again. That would be boring. Right. I've done the shrines. I like, think they I've, just need to be repackaged a little differently. Because re- repackage the, it almost, yeah. Yeah, the, a, a lot of the like narrative and lore elements to Breath of the Wild weren't particularly compelling. So and, if they yeah. bring it back to you know something that has anchored the series from the very beginning, which is Ganondorf yeah. slash Ganon, um, and you introduce that aspect of mysticism to it, I there is a lot there that they can dig into. I think the reason why I wasn't bothered by the story in Breath of the Wild is because Zelda games have never had a deep story or, or anything. It's always been bare bones. I, I, I've never been someone who's played Zelda for the story. So for that reason, the Breath of the Wild story didn't stand out as inherently bad. But I do get it. They could have done a lot more. So yeah, I, I think like Breath of the Wild is amazing, but they could really, really elevate it to like being one of the best Zeldas ever with Breath of the Wild 2, if they do it right, I think. Mm-hmm. And what's also exciting about this, too, is that we're starting off on the Switch right away this time. We're not having this oh, mid-generation yeah. gap between right. the Wii U and the Switch. We're going right <laughs> into it. And, and the, the other exciting thing about this trailer, too, is that it looked well-developed. Like, this, that was actually... Those were, without a doubt, actual cutscenes that are going to be in the game. It's not just, like, a teaser logo that we got with Metroid Prime 4 or some CG trailer. This looks like they have a very clear vision and they are acting on it. And of, mm. of course, like they have all the assets from the previous Breath of the Wild already, like they have Ocarina of Time to Majora's Mask. So absolute, absolute best case scenario. It's not out of the realm of possibility for a holiday 2020 release. Most likely it'll be 2021. But yeah. at the very, we're not going to be waiting like five to six years like we did from Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Announcement. <laughs> it'll be a much quicker turnover time. Is it really six years really cool. between Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild? It was... If not that, it was like maybe five years. Yeah. Skyward Sword was 2011, wasn't it? And Breath of the Wild was 2016. Okay, so five years, yeah. It's still pretty yeah, long. A long time. Yeah, I think I think it was the longest period between 3D Zeldas and Zelda history, if I recall. So yeah, mm. I don't think we'll get one of those. But that's enough about E3, although we might touch about that a little bit more later on. Wink, nudge, <laughs> nudge. But for now on, we for for now we've got some news to go over, and I'm ditching the name lightning news roundup because there's nothing lightning about this segment <laughs> oh, well <laughs> Which, no more of that no no more of that sound effect unfortunately i'm sorry for the listeners that enjoyed that but we're gonna get right into it we're gonna start off with a nice little low ball nothing like as cosmically proportioned as launching gundam models into space oh god like i forgot month. about that. yeah so <laughs> like manage your expectations on this one so yeah we're gonna, just gonna start low key so have either of you heard of an anime called your line april uh, yes. yes, I yes. hate it. <laughs> <laughs> have you se- have you seen it, Harry? I've not seen it. Okay, but, but you know about it. it. Okay, all right. And so basically, uh, Your Lie in April is a classical music anime. It's about a young middle schooler who has some trauma that he used to be a pro- prodig- prodigal? Prodigal. Prodigy. Yeah. Prodigy. Pro- well, a prodigy yes. piano player. Is that how you say that? Or a prodigal piano player? Prodigy piano player. A prodigious. Piano, piano playing. Prodigious. A, pi- a piano <laughs> prodigious playing. Prodigious piano, piano playing. playing prod- yes. Person. Yes. Anyways, he was good at piano. And <laughs> a trauma left him unable to really play to his full potential. He meets a girl who's also a violinist. He kinda, she kind of like pulls him out of this trauma and gets him to perform again. 
It's got mixed reception. Kyle hates it. I thought it was pretty okay. A lot of people and love I've it. Not seen I it. mean, and yeah, realistic, realistically, like it's okay, but it's like I know exactly what it's trying to do. Right, and, yeah. Uh, I have my qualms with it for sure. Anyways, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that in Japan, 2019, there is something mm. called the Stand Up Classic Festival. And it is a full-on classical music festival that takes place on an outdoor stage, which is oh. interesting when you think about classical music. And um, the composers that did the piano songs and the violin songs from Your Line April are going to be performing there, which is just kind of neat. I figured instead of doing another classical live action play or musical, like I figured I've been pulling all this time, this is a nice little departure from that. Yeah, that's okay. yeah, because if there is one thing your line April did well, it's the music. It was absolutely, absolutely enrapturing in some of the scenes. They absolutely nailed that. So I think having it outside will play towards you know a lot of the themes that the um, show tried to do with its music as mm-hmm. well. So yeah, exactly. that's neat. Yeah, so they'll be joining many other uh, classical composers playing on stage on June twenty sixth. Is that, that's pretty cool. It reminds me of like the Zelda live orchestra where right. you go and see like a live orchestra performing of Zelda stuff, I've been which to is that. awesome. I've been to that. Uh, I've oh, actually been, I, I think I've, I've been to it twice. It's fucking awesome. It's really good. Sucks yeah, to really suck, good. Harry. Well, not Harry. <laughs> Kyle. Kyle. <laughs> it's great, but if they, announce, if they announce they're doing like some sort of live action theater Zelda performance, I'd be like, ah, good lord. Is that going to work? Yeah, but if it's just like, yeah, we're just going on stage and playing loads of fucking music to visuals, it's like, yeah, wicked. Mm-hmm. I'm down. So it's something yeah. here. Exactly. Like they're kind of a celebration of the franchises in a way. And if you're really yeah. into them, like it, it makes you happy on a deep soulful level. Mm. Mm. Okay. So that's all for that. Nice little low ball hanging fruit. Next one is a little bit more interesting. So uh, Masaki Yuasa, who Kyle is very familiar with. Mm. He, he's the director of shows such as Devilman Crybaby, which is actually Crunchyroll's anime of the year last year. As well as a, uh, what was the movie called? Again? Wait, walk was on it? girl. Uh, walk yeah, walk on girl. The the, the night uh, is young. The night is young. Yes, along with many other things. So he has recently announced that he has begun production on his newest film. Oh, and yes, and so it is a musical anime feature called Inu O, and it will be a film adaptation of Hideo Furukawa's Heike Monogatari Inu O no Maki, which means Tales of Heike Inu O. And he is doing this in collaboration with the uh, the character artist from the ping pong anime. I forgot he also did that anime. And so this is, oh. to give you a uh, little synopsis of the story, Inoo is a real-life figure, a Sarugaku no performer. Well, yeah, okay, here's the no again. We can't go an episode without talking about stage play. A Sarugaku <laughs> no performer and playwright who was extremely popular in the 14th century. However, he is all but unknown to people nowadays because very few documents about his life have survived. Now, around 600 years later, this Ino-O project portrays the tales of brotherhood between the legendary Ino-O, who vanished from history, and a certain Biwa player and is full of music and dance sequences. So, Ooh. yes, and it's it sounds like that kind of psychedelic style that... Yuasa is known for. Yeah, this, this sounds like right up Yuasa's alley. Exactly. Content. And look, all we have right now is the movie poster. This is slated for 2021. And the uh-huh. original novel okay. uh, cover, which looks straight out of Ping Pong the animation, honestly. And so, yeah, Kyle, as someone who closely follows Yuasa's works, uh, does any of this stand out to you? Uh, just into, I'm trying to find the poster. I'm finding a bunch of batteries. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I I really like that just because um, like Yuasa's work tends to like go for that making making the mundane fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh yeah, adding that like kind of like it, really it is a sense of whimsy and like magic to um a lot of his subjects uh so i'm i also like when stories uh like follow things that haven't really been covered before um and not just from like this personal story that was like lost to history mm-hmm. but when they cover subject matters and art forms that i am not super familiar with like i know what no is um right but I'm not like super well versed in like what the actual art form is, how the performances go. Like for example, like I loved Rakugo. It's easily oh, yes. one of my top five shows, um, and I didn't know anything about like Rakugo as a performance art beforehand. And when I went through it, it you know it showed me like of course you know it's not the same as watching an actual Rakugo performance, but it gave me an idea of like the kind of um, passion and talent that went into it. So I'm hoping to see the same kind of thing uh for no as a performance art here right exactly and being a movie it's just going to have such a fluid animation as well uh because oh, yeah, yeah. if there's one thing i do know about no is that it's it's well known for its kind of exaggeration exaggerated motions mm-hmm. during its stage mm-hmm. plays yeah and for that to tra- that's going to translate so well into an anime format so this is definitely something to look forward to we're not going to see it for a while though Anything, yeah, any other right. comments it, on that? When's it coming out? 2021. Uh, yeah. So around the time of Breath of the Wild 2. Yeah, so, we got two things. Yeah. <laughs> double whammy, maybe. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, moving on. We got, again, another topic that we can't go an episode without talking about. Fate, the Fate franchise. Oh, God. And, <laughs> this, oh. Is, this is actually kind of neat, though. So let us... Most of you know, Fate is based off of summoning famous historical figures and heroes from various mythologies and stories, and they do this massive battle royale. And the way that these characters are portrayed, it's easy to forget that they are based off of historical figures. And so this is a nice little reminder of that. So the voice mm-hmm. actor of Gilgamesh, who is one of the the biggest douchebags in the Fate Stay Night franchise, except the new Babylonia anime, might change your mind on that. Anyways, he is actually creating an audiobook reciting the the original epic of Gilgamesh poem. Uh, that's crazy. What? And so for for those of you who don't know, Epic of Gilgamesh is the oldest sustained piece of literary it's it's regarded as the earliest surviving great work of literature mm-hmm. that we know of. Obviously, there's things before that, but it's the only one that stood the test of time. It came about in 2100 BC. And that's why Gilgamesh himself is considered the world's oldest hero, because he's the only one that we can possibly go. He's as far back as we can possibly go in human myth- mythological history. And so that's why he's held in like this holy and regard and fate. It's, it's crazy that this voice actor has embraced the character, but also like the figure so much that he's like, not only am I going to betray him in an anime, but I'm going to fucking go back and do something totally unrelated. Yeah. But like an audiobook of... What, okay, so does this like have any yeah. actual ties to the Fate franchise, or is no, this just something he? No, not at all. It's, okay, that, it's, that's actually so pretty it, cool. Yeah, okay. it's in collaboration with the T- Tokyo's Ancient Orient Museum, and ah. it's just him literally reciting the Japanese translation of the Epic of Gilgamesh. 
And the full title is Recitation of the Epic of Gilgamesh, The Man That Peered Into the Abyss. And it's going to be released as a standalone CD in July, and it will also be like a uh, part of the audio tour for the museum itself. That's how you educate weebs and teenagers. You yeah. Get voice <laughs> actors and famous people to yeah. force and history got, down their throats. They released a short little uh, sample of it, too. And boy, is it Gilgamesh. Boy, is it Gilgamesh. <laughs> mm. the, neat, the neat thing about this, too, is that um, so the voice actor, his full name is uh Tomokazu Seki. So when he took on the role of Gilgamesh, he outside of the games and anime, he didn't actually he wasn't familiar with the origin story of Gilgamesh. So this was him educating himself on the source mm. material of the character he's portrayed for so long now and he very much mm. enjoyed it. And so yeah, mm. it's really cool. cool. I would definitely love to uh listen to it at some point. I had never read the original Epic of Gilgamesh, so I would either need subtitles or just listen to it for the sake of listening to Gilgamesh recite it. But <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. It's just such a neat little um, mm-hmm. nod to what the series is based off of because it's really easy to forget that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. And so speaking of uh, things that, well, not really, but the current anime sphere. And so... Have either of you uh, watched Code Geass? Uh, I've seen a few episodes, but I've not seen the whole thing. Yeah, same. Right. Okay. Same here. I've only watched the first. <laughs> I, well, all of us are going into yeah, it. Exactly. We've only seen a few episodes. Yeah. We so, know very little. <laughs> yeah. I, I distinctly remember the episode I dropped it at was an episode where a cat stole Lelouch's helmet. And it was just him running around the school trying to catch it. And it was such like a departure from the tone of the show. And I was so turned off by it. Like unreasonably, is, I, unreasonably so. Like I have no reason. I to sometimes, be I sometimes yeah. love episodes like that that just totally do a one eighty tonally mm-hmm. because, Wait. like, they provide such kind of like breaths of fresh air in the midst of like really I mean, I intense guess. moments. But only if it's done well. Only if it's genuinely entertaining mm-hmm. and fun. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, anyways, we're not talking about the show itself, but we're talking yes. about the director <laughs> of it. So Goto Taniguchi. He recently uh, appeared as a guest on uh, an online program called Hangout Plus. And he commented on current anime trends and he shared his perspective that he basically in today's anime environment, he wouldn't be allowed to make Code Geass because series with depressing developments like Code Geass are much harder to get greenlit nowadays. So the quote is, I get told don't put depressing elements in. The production committee is separated from the fans and they don't know what will and won't be a hit. And that's, Interesting, considering, again, we haven't seen Kogias, but we all acknowledge the footprint it has on anime, the anime medium. It's a huge, huge show, and people are still waiting for the continuation of it, or the closing of it, I believe. And it's interesting to see this prominent director, this director of that prominent show, come out and say, like, I, I wouldn't be able to make this show in today's, this highly loved show in today's anime mm. environment. And it's mm. kind of telling of how people in the industry see it as well like we can look at the currently airing charts to see well yeah there's a lot of moe blah there's a lot of cute girls doing cute things there's a whole shit ton of isekai but it's another thing for the, to get like that inside and industry themselves and pe- people saying like you know what like people just don't want to risk it they know what makes money nowadays and it's very yeah. reminiscent of where the video game industry was just a couple of years ago where it was just very 
iterative upon iterations upon iterations. And we're starting to move away from that. We're starting you're, to see you're more. You're still getting a bit, though. You're still yeah. getting fucking like battle royale mode. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're still yeah. getting that, but it's not as prominent as it was before. Whereas like anime is what where the video game industry was like three or four years ago, I feel like. Mm. I suppose because like with both video games and anime, actually creating one is just like, it takes so long and you've got to have so much money. So, like, people don't want to take risks, but I still think that's a shame because I think sometimes when you take risks, that's when you get the best out the best outcome. Well, this interesting product. At least for video games, I know that the way um, people got around that was you started seeing a lot more like double A studios popping up. Um, so not necessarily like small indie teams, but not like huge triple A companies either. But people that had like enough money to dump into passion projects or stuff that might be like in concept, cons- something that's not like gotten mainstream appeal. So something like Hellblade, um, Senua's Sacrifice is like a super depressing game, but it's got a pretty high like production quality towards it um, mm. because it's made by a relatively small studio and it came out and, you know, yeah, it's not like super widely popular, but it found its niche. And same with, like, a lot of other studios. So I'm hoping, like, maybe the anime industry can find that nice in-between because as far as I'm aware, there aren't really opportunities for you to, like, for for artists um, and autorists to, like, push forward their passion projects, like, on a smaller scale. But I feel like Trigger making a Patreon is almost, like, a sign of that gradually. Yeah, happening. of course, there's, like, Trigger, yeah. But, like, I can't really think of any other studios that are, like, as independent. Mm. Right. And as much as it pains me to say, I do think this is where the entrance of big entities like Netflix, like Amazon, coming yeah. in and funding yeah. and producing their own shows. As much mm. as it, I hate that they get those exclusives it could lead to people deciding to take those risks more being, being able to take those risks more because Amazon Netflix has, has that funding to allow them to go out on a limb like that and um, try something new. And that's resulted in things like devil man, cry baby. And what's airing this, this season, Carol on Tuesday, which I haven't watched yet because it's freaking Netflix and (laughs) they won't release it yet, but I've heard nothing but amazing things about it. And so that's kind of going to help stimulate the anime industry and hopefully show some of the domestic anime producers and studios be like, hey, it's okay to go out on a limb and try something new. You just have to have the vision to push it forward and the dedication to see it through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, honestly, like if you gave friggin' we've talked about this before, but if you gave American anime fans more ways to financially support the series they like, like you... I, I imagine like that would at least help I've, influence some kind of decision making there. Not not just I've American, but the little story we have later on. Keep that in the back of your mind. Go I've, ahead, I've said this before as well about it. Like, and I'm really into this. Like, for me as well in the UK, there's so much anime I just can't stream. Like, there's mm-hmm. just literally no way. So I have to use like a VPN or yeah, unblocker. Yeah. And I've said like I'm more than willing to buy this anime on Blu-ray, or like I, I honestly am. But then I might look it up and it might be like. 30 pounds for like six episodes of a 50 episode series it's something mm-hmm. ridiculous it's like well who can afford that no one can afford that that's absurd prices so what am i going to do i'm going to fucking stream it illegally but what else am i a consumer meant to do 
if the legal option is just like hundreds of pounds, well, no one's going to pay that. Yeah, there's just need to be. Th- that's it. That's it. And and and, and it's so annoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I I do like. Oh, is it even that the other day? There's a loads. There's like this big t-shirt sale on a on Crunchyroll. Right, you were like, talking about that. Oh, oh, did I mention the this in yeah. in a podcast? Yeah, you're about the One Piece shirt. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. If I mention it in a podcast, I won't repeat it. Then. But yeah, it was just like the shipping was just so expensive. Yeah. It's just like this is the issue when people from abroad as well, like outside of America, especially want to support anime series or merchandise or whatever. It's just so fucking expensive. Yeah. Keep, it's just it's just ridiculous. Keep that thought in mind. We're going to circle back around to that later. <laughs> okay. okay. Yes. Okay. But speak, speaking of America, you know what's super American? Guns. Um, Trump. Guns. <laughs> yes. Well, it's guns. And you know what's not so Japanese? Guns. Guns? Oh. Um, you know what Japan has, oddly enough? Guns? Their own National Rifle Association. Oh, oh God. And you know what's even odder is that there is an upcoming anime project called Rifle is Beautiful. And Is it, it a fucking is... girls' frontline anime? No, it's not a girls' frontline anime, but it is a cute girls doing cute gun shooting anime. And the main <gasps> cast are now the PR ambassadors for the National Rifle Association of Japan. That's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> they got a little hey. video of them shooting on a firing range. <laughs> Wait, is that where what that's from? I saw that like the other week. I was like, oh, wow. That's I'm not cool. sure if we're talking about the same video. But it, it's a, if, it's it, a, if it's Japanese it, girls with rifles. In yes. Their hands, probably, yes. Yeah. And they're like firing huh? like giant fucking like bolt action rifles. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 How can any country look at America and look at the issues that America has with guns and with the NRA and think, yeah, let's try that. Let's try that one out. Like, I mean, to be fair, I, I wouldn't exactly put America up there as like the best country in terms of how we deal with gun legislation. Oh, uh, th- yeah, that's that's Harry's whole point, I think. Yeah, like, like fucking hell, you guys are mental, to be honest. Like, <laughs> l- like, how can people not fucking view that in America there are countless massacres and so much gun violence and it's clearly a direct correlation with the fact that guns are so accessible because we don't have that in the UK. Even when you take the size of like the two countries into account, our gun violence and our police violence against people is so much less. And this isn't because the UK is smaller. Like you take it all into account. It's because we don't have fucking guns. It's because we don't have guns rolled out everywhere. I mean, if they That's make it like, like I, I don't know like how Japan has their firearm policies but I imagine yeah I'd imagine it's far stricter than the US so yes yeah. Yeah, I, I don't are, think might, it's a one to one a little bit more lax yeah. a, a, like a little bit better as in so yeah so I, I should clarify that this this whole so the NRA in Japan is strictly for rifle sports like trap and skeet um so which, not like uh, home ownership right exactly so gun ownership laws in Japan civilians cannot own their own firearm period um, for home home ownership, but rifle sports do exist there still. And which, by the way, I took trap and skeet mm. back in college. It's very fun. But yeah, so that's what this whole thing is about. They are promoting basically rifle sports, not like own a gun to stuff in your closet. Oh, okay. Like that. So it, it it yeah, we're gonna talk. Right, okay. <laughs> bring that back a little bit, but it is. <laughs> I'll, I'll 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 retract yeah. some it, of my rant then because like I got very very passionate over something. That exactly, but still, it, when I saw this. <laughs> Uh, this news topic. I was like, wait, what? Japan has an NRA? 
Yeah, yeah, because I knew about the very strict gun policies in Japan. So when I learned that they had an NRA, I was like, wait, what? Especially when, when I hear NRA, I think of the American NRA, which isn't the best mm. association. To- <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that's, that's that. Just a little bit of an eyebrow raising topic. So we're going to circle back around to anime outside of America and Japan now. Because instead of doing our uh, weekly Blu-ray rankings because we're still in the middle of seasons that's not super telling dragon ball broly movies at the top spoiler uh we're going to talk about crunchyroll (laughs) stats instead so crunchyroll has actually released a bunch of statistics for the month of may about its globally restrained anime including the top 10 countries uh for the most views per user which means for each user on average how much does that how many episodes of anime how many minutes Actually, they don't give the uh, unit of measure, but some unit of measure that they watch. So say I watch 10 episodes, Harry watches 20, Kyle watches 15, and we all live in the U.S. magically. That would be 15. We average all of those together. And so they released the top 10 countries of that. What do you think is... Oh, so so like countries with like the most average watch time. Per per member, yes. Yeah, they don't okay. give the unit of measure for that. They don't say if it's minutes or episodes or what, but but it's still just like viewership. There's a bunch, yeah. of, there's a lot else wrong with the statistic, but it is kind of interesting. Anyways, we're just going to start off. We'll start off at the bottom, actually. What do you think is number 10? All right. So before we get into this, I'm uh, actually going to guess that at least, if not more than half of these are South American countries. Uh, you are not incorrect. <laughs> 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 all right, all right. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna guess. Uh, is, is I, I had to count them for a moment. Country is the is the United Kingdom kind of like towards the bottom? United is Kingdom is not, not on, on this list. Is number is number no, ten something in here? Right. It is not. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Then over to you guys, the American boys. Canada. Canada. I don't know. Who who is it? Canada is not on this list. Uh, it is El Salvador is number 10. All right. Well, there's the first South American country. Yes, exactly. And so we're not going to go through this whole list, but we will jump up to number one. And it is a South American country. Brazil or not Mexico. Brazil. Well, Mexico's Mexico is in North America, but Chile? neither of those are on this list. Chile is not on this list. Oh, my God. What else is in South? Port- no, Portugal is not in South America. Um, Portugal is number seven, though. Ah, look at that. Mm-hmm. What else is in South America? Oh my God. Uh, Argentina. Nope, not on the list. Venezuela. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I do have a friend in Venezuela, though, that watches anime very religiously, but not on this list. The Sukeban game developers are from Venezuela. So oh, yeah, they why, are. Yeah. That's where I went to. Um, yeah. I don't know. Who's number one? Who, who watches Uruguay. Anime? Uruguay? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Number one, oh, and again, the other, so one, they don't give them, you know, measure for this. Yeah, yeah, see, yeah, I'm and, about to say, like, what, what's, like, the benchmark for this? Yeah. Because they could and, have a proportionally high. Yeah. Okay, actually, yeah, and exactly. It could be very proportionally high. It could be, like, a small user base, but, like, all of them watch a lot of anime. So this statistic can be very easily be skewed, but nonetheless. So, so, so this is the most, so out of the whole world, this is the country in the whole world most popular with Crunchyroll. With the highest minutes viewed per day per viewer. So if you have right, if you have wow. 10 viewers that watch 100 minutes per day, 
then yeah, it's going to be a hundred. But if you are like the U.S. with like a million viewers and they have like the whole spectrum, then it's going to get diluted down. It, and so it's that's why this a per isn't capita the kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to go down the list, then so number one is Uruguay. Uh, and I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. If it's Uruguay or Uruguay, I'm not 100% sure. Um, number two is Romania. Number three is the Philippines. Yeah. Number four is the Dominican Republic. Number five is the Czech Republic. Number six is Colombia. Number seven is Portugal. Number eight is Peru. Number nine is India. And number 10, like we said before, is El Salvador. All of these Hispanic, like, anime is just super popular in South America. Right, like, um, which I had a vague idea of. Mm-hmm. And again, even though this isn't specific, it shows, like, just the fact that they are on here at all still, it shows that they do have a very prominent audience there. And so mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. people think anime, they think, oh, yeah, America and Japan, and then, like, some European countries, too. But there is only one European country on this list, and that's Romania. That's Europe, right? Mm. <laughs> um, everything else is completely outside of that which is Mm. very very interesting again with the large caveat not the greatest but and they give a quick other statistic that the global average so this is actually interesting is that the viewer spends about 85 minutes per day watching anime but that is such a large sample volume that i'm not sure how you can interpret that but yeah cute cute little Mm. statistic there Cool little mm-hmm. statistic. And then they also give the top 20 uh, anime titles for May 2019, except it's not ranked in any shape or form. But, it's just what uh, people liked watching. Yeah, exactly. And it's what you would expect. So Attack on Titan, Black Clover, Bleach. Uh, it's, My Hero Academia is still up there, despite not having a new season yet. Uh, she, As it, sh- it mm-hmm. should be up there, it's fucking good. <laughs> and a whole <laughs> bunch of things. I'm not going to go through the whole list. The stats are out there if you want to look them up yourself. But yeah, very interesting. Neat. Woo. Mm-hmm. And like a hmm? speaking of speaking of Black Clover, hmm. uh, <laughs> you made no secret that you hate it, Matt. And I've not seen it, so I don't really have an opinion. But apparently, from what I hear, it's actually gotten better. Oh, I, over I time. believe it. Yeah, and it's, I believe that. Yeah, I've I've heard that as it's gotten into it, it's actually become quite a decent shonen. But, I heard uh, the yeah, the, maybe you should. The problem is like uh, decent shonen <laughs> isn't good enough anymore. <laughs> so there are so many great shonens out there. I actually started reading the Black Clover mm. manga. Um, I actually really like it, and the one thing, like, yes, for the most part, it's pretty cookie-cutter. He fucking Asta wants to be the Wizard King. Um, whatever. But I do what, hear the manga what, is much better than the anime. What they do particularly well that I don't see, like, in a lot of other shonens is that it does combat pretty well. Because it's very... It's very constructive. Um, it's one of the few things... One of the few series I see where, like teammates will actually like combine their powers um and like work with each other and off of each other's abilities i don't really like you'll see that sometimes in other shonens I, i'm sure it's like popped up a few times in like hero academia but for the most part like black clover like makes the effort to define its magic system and then rolls with it mm. okay um, so that's that, where yeah. that, that's where it, like it gets the edge for me just because i really like like fight mechanics, good fight mechanics in shonens or just anime series in general, which is why I really like Full Metal Alchemist. Um, right. But yeah, yeah. I, I'd say Black Clover, yeah, it's pretty basic except for the combat, where it, mm-hmm. it, which is where it excels. Right. And it 
it can't be understated how difficult it is to define a magic system of any sort mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that actually mm-hmm. makes yep, sense. Yeah, because it is so easy to go too far or too little in that. That's, so whenever a series really nails it, I really, I really gotta applaud it. That, that's been one of my main issues for Shield Hero. It's I, I, I want to like this show more than I do. Mm-hmm. I stopped watching like I think about ten episodes mm-hmm. in or something, but um. I might pick it up again, but a lot, I know you mentioned the curse shield was really boring. And, a, yeah, a lot, a lot of the mechanics in the show are boring. At this point, I'm just watching for the characters. <laughs> yeah. I did appreciate the execution episode, though. That was the episode I was waiting for ever since the anime was announced. Anyways, um, so that wraps it up for our new segment. And that now we're going to get into our main topic. So... As we were saying before, E3 just happened. We're all really stoked about video games. And so we wanted to find some sort of way to wrap that back into our anime discussion. Unfortunately, we already did the what anime would we want to be made into a video game topic a few episodes back. So instead, we're going to talk a little bit about localization and how it relates to video games and anime in general. What goes wrong to when does a localization goes r- go right? What defines a good localization exactly? The one who proposed this topic was Kyle, actually. And so would you like to take it away and get us started? Sure, yeah. So localization is, it's one of those things that, like, you know needs to happen, but, like, until you see, like, really good localization, you don't really appreciate it. Um, So, for example, like, growing up, um, like, I was a kid in the 90s, early 2000s, we didn't have a lot of official localizations. Like anime and manga and Japanese video games were definitely like popular, but not to like the mainstream level of popularity that they that they have today. So like, and right. I'm sure Matt, like we we've talked about this before, but you have the same experience where if I wanted to read a visual novel, I'd have to like find it online in some forum somewhere and download an English patch right. and wait for somebody else to translate it. Mm. And a lot Actually, of times. Oh, yeah. Before we go any further, actually, I have a question. So for a viewer that's listening or not viewer, a listener who's listening to this, they hear localization. They might ask, well, isn't that just translating? What's let's go. Let's start there first. What's the yeah, difference yeah. between a translation and a localization? <laughs> yes, that is a very good distinction to make because um, a lot of people focus on translating and leave it at that. But localization means Translating, yes, but understanding the context, the tone, the mood, and the intent behind dialogue or prose. So there's a very big difference between, like, I'm going there and uh, I'm, I'm rushing there. Like, one implies more urgency, one implies, like, action behind it. And you need to be able to understand that. The problem with a lot of, like, bad, quote-unquote, localizations is that they will take everything literally and not really think about how it sounds on the other end in English or whatever language is being translated to. So rolling back to like early 2000s and like my early experience with uh, visual novels is a lot of these uh, localizations were fan projects. So what that means is it varied so widely in quality because Mm -hmm. it's fan projects. So you have people who are volunteering their time to translate and localize like game dialogue um, and like subs. And yeah, for a long time, like before Crunchyroll was as big as it is now, like a lot of sh- series were fan subbed. 
Um, so that's actually where you'll get like a lot of those infamous screen caps, like people die when they are killed or uh, like the, the death note screen cap translators note Keikaku means planned. It's like right, people exactly. who, people who translate and don't think about the best way to localize it um, and make it make sense naturally and organically mm. for uh, the native speaking audience that wants to read that translated media or see right. that translated actually, media. This is actually something I notice a lot when watching One Piece, um, where there's various like motivational quotes mm-hmm. or sayings from certain characters where I've no doubt they sound great in Japanese and they translate really well in Japanese and whatnot. But when it's just written out in the subtitles in English form, you kind of have to reread it like, what? Yeah, it sounds so stupid. And it's a little bit weird of anything. Oh, I kind of forget what he's saying there or what she's saying there, but it's it's just a little bit peculiar and it doesn't really sound like the kind of saying or statement that would have any weight in English. Right. And it's, and it's really weird. It's interesting because, as Harry was saying before, there are there are many different categories of languages, but two of them is are poetic languages and prose languages. And Japanese is a considered a poetic language because its vocabulary is relatively limited compared to many other languages. It will have one word that can take on a whole host of different meanings depending on the context. And that's why it's very good for poetic writing because you can use that word and people can interpret it in so many different ways. That's why the haiku format is so powerful in Japan because even Mm. with the limited 17 syllables they have, they can jam pack so so much meaning into it. And that's mm-hmm. why it, when you try to translate a haiku into English, it just doesn't work. And haikus are much more difficult to write in English because a single word, you can get so granular with it. For Like mm-hmm. what Kyle just said, I ran there or I rushed there. Those have two different tones of urgency. You can keep going more and more granular. Whereas in Japanese, um, you could just say hayaku, which means quick, literally. But depending on the context, it can mean, okay, yeah, hurry it up a bit, hustle, or like, get your ass moving right this goddamn moment. (laughs) And so it understanding language enough to parse out those uh, peculiarities of those words, and then being able to translate that over into English with the meaning intact, that that's very difficult, especially in some situations where there's not a one-to-one translation of a a Japanese idiom, for instance. Yeah. That's why if you are, um, you know, if you read like manga, um like there is like the, the whole scan the whole scanlation thing it's why okay so say you look at the uh scanlated version of hero academia honestly it's kind of bad but you suffer through it because you can kind of like get the gist of it uh you get to you know stay current with the manga as it's releasing in japan and you, know, you, you get to read your your hero academia but you compare it to something like the officially licensed translation from Viz, and it reads like perfectly. It reads like natural, organic English. So mm. one of the things that was uh, that, that kind of prompted this actually was Agretsuko season two dropped, um, and Agretsuko is one of my favorite like current shows, precisely because it translates Japanese, the, the very colloquial Japanese into something that's very relatable for an english-speaking audience so for example they'll say phrases like real talk or whack and it sounds completely natural in context Um, Mm -hmm. and i'm sure it captures the same tone 
but it translates that for an American-speaking audience who is used to those kinds of colloquialisms. Right. Another famous example, uh, because localization really comes into play with comedy and jokes as well, because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of course, there are mm-hmm. many jokes in one language that don't exist in another language. So a uh, famous show called Cromartie High School. Have you guys heard of that? Yes. <laughs> I've not actually, no. Yeah, so uh, to give you a quick rundown and listeners who don't know about it, Cromartie High School, it's about a uh, very honor student, student-y guy ends up in a high school full of delinquents, mm-hmm. complete with a gorilla and literally Freddie Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> and a, and a and, robot. Yeah, and a robot, yes. And so it is blisteringly hilarious. The dub is phenomenal. But the mm-hmm. difference between the dub and the original Japanese is fascinating because how the original Japanese voice acting goes, the way it delivers its jokes, instead of the content of the jokes, they rely more on the delivery of it. They rely on like this grandiose, like, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. Like this uh, shouting kind of things, action movement comedy. And when mm-hmm. you're reading the subs, you're like, ha, ha, chuckle, chuckle, that's pretty funny. But in the English dub of it, they deliver all the jokes into like a deadpan manner, deadpan voice, but mm. they translate all the jokes in a way that they hit all the harder because it's just like, well, this is a thing. This happens. It's kind of similar to... That's, um, that's really interesting, really, like comedy-wise, because I feel like different countries obviously have very kind of like their own versions of comedy. Right. And I think a lot of American comedy, and I think Japanese comedy too, is very loud and intense. And it's not always to my taste because I do prefer the darker, more deadpan, subtle stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, so, so I really enjoy a lot of English and, and British comedy. Yeah. Um, whereas a lot of it, the, kind of American, like, dude, your dick? Yeah, the dick. Like that kind of comedy <laughs> from America doesn't do it for me. And I think the really intense stuff from Japan is very shouty and very hyper yeah. doesn't do it for me either. Right. There's the famous comedy uh, format. I forget what it's called, but it's the duo, basically. Where you have the straight man. Bo- yeah, exactly. Okay. The straight man and the... Yeah, yeah. Uh, Laurel and Hardy. Like, yeah, exactly. So mm. that's very prominent in Japan, and that's case in point, very grandiose, over the top. But Cromartie High School, when they were localizing it, I don't know who did it, but they had the uh, the perspective to realize, okay, we could do it this way, and it'll be pretty funny, or we can localize it in the way that English speakers understand it better in a comedy concept and make it really funny. And it turned out so well. So yeah, that's something that. I really appreciate is when they can, because one of the defining factors of when you're fluent in a country is when you can tell a joke and when you can understand a joke, because mm. when you get to that point in a language that you can fully understand that and laugh at it, because there are so many parts of a joke that you need to understand the base meanings. You need to be able to peel back all the layers of the words. And if you don't have mm. full understanding of those words, yeah, you're not going to yeah. be able to fully understand the joke. And that is super prominent when you're trying to translate a joke over to another language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And with localization to um, like one, one of the things that's like always struck me about localization is just how, how easy it is to get wrong. <laughs> right. And so, okay. So for example, um, one of the, and, and this ties into dubs as well. And like what, one of the more recent uh, dubs that came out was Konosuba's dub. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually really disappointed with it, um, because it's, so Kazuma, the, the, the everyday schmuck who gets transported, uh, to another world in the original, he's very snarky. He's deadpan. Um, he's somebody who's kind of just frustrated with his 
station in life, but he'll, you know, he, he makes do with it. And you don't need to, like, understand Japanese to know that that's what his character is. Mm-hmm. But for the dub, they turned him into a whiny brat, which mm. was really annoying. And I don't know, like, like how that happened just because, like, all the dialogue is the same, right? But it's the intent behind it right. that got messed up. And that's not like that's it's not even something you use in translation. It's just you you can see that in the original. It, it's like they didn't even watch the original show, which is so like baffling to me. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you're saying in that case, it, this his delivery kind of made it that way. The voice actor's delivery. Yeah, yeah. It was totally on the voice it. actor's delivery. So I, it might be the voice director I, I that just, did that. I just realized, by the way, we can't talk about this section without mentioning four kids. Oh, my God. We can't continue this without mentioning four kids at some point. Because I I just thought about... um, Okay, every fucking example for me comes back to One Piece. I get it, but... (laughs) No, this is very relevant. Yeah, this is super... It's very relevant. Um, So they dubbed One Piece, and it's renowned as one of the worst four kids (laughs) dubbings. And they, they they censored a lot of stuff, which you can find online... But one of the things they did, so like when the character Nico Robin is introduced, she's wearing a purple sort of like cowboy uh, hat. And there's nothing to do with cowboys with her. It's just the outfit she's wearing. And her actual character is totally like like soft-spoken, very intelligent. Did they turn her into a southern belle? Yeah, she's like, howdy, y'all. Oh, my God. So like like the voice actor just saw like the outfit. And just for oh, like cowboy kind of thing, and we're like they obviously didn't read the manga, obviously didn't watch the original. <sighs> okay, so this is who she is. This is what they're going for. This outfit's totally irrelevant to her voice and her delivery. They're just like, howdy, y'all. It's me, Nico Robin. <laughs> See, that's great because that reminds me of uh, the dub that they gave Joey Wheeler uh, for <laughs> Yu Gi Oh. And for whatever reason, I don't know. It it always like fucking cracks me up whenever I hear anybody dubbing any character with a brooklyn accent it's just it's so bad out of place (laughs) it it does yeah i think the only thing um joey wheeler oh you god it's so bad but it's it's interesting because accents are the really interesting part and that's why i actually prefer dubs and localization for shows that are set you know that have a western setting so for example bacano has one of the best dubs because they actually capture that Italian-American New York accent perfectly. Right. Mm. And to bring this to video games as well, what's really interesting. So one of my favorite game franchises of all, all time, uh, the Trails series. So there's one saga in it called Trails of Cold Steel. And so <clears> in one of the in the first Trails of Cold Steel game, there's a character named Laura. And she's basically from a prestigious knight family. She's very... Uh, formal in her countenance and so in the original i remember reading an interview with the uh, lead translator and localizer for the game so in the original japanese script for laura's character she spoke in this very kind of archaic way of speaking in japanese that doesn't really translate there's no equivalent to that except like old english in english and mm-hmm. they recognized like you know what we could go with that but it would be so out of place so instead they kind of morphed her into speaking in a very formal way that showed her character how serious she is, how um, committed she is to her knighthood without compromising on this weird kind of uh, world-breaking 
accent out of nowhere. And yeah. so knowing when and how to use accents effectively is a very good tool as well. Mm. On that note, I think one of the, the, the one of the ones that like it it, it kind of stuck out to me when I first heard it, and it's just gotten so prevalent at this point that I I like it, however cheesy it is. But so <laughs> in Japan, you have different regions with different dialects, right, and different I love accents. My Kansai dialect. Yes, good lord, the way the 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 way Western uh dubbing studios localized kansai is to make everybody from texas and it's fucking hilarious and i love it Mm -hmm. um i i don't know if it's like the right i guess it's like because they're both like rural communities um and they have like kind of a a like drawl to them so i i I can see that but it's like the first time i heard it was when i watched azumanga dayo and <laughs> I heard Osaka's character, and she talks like this, and she, and she sounds like, like a hick. Match it at all? But yeah. it's like, it, like after like the initial like, huh? You, you kind of buy into it. Um, yeah. I think Ochako has that for her dub as well, because like she she's from the like a countryside, and it slips out now and then. Right. Um, but yeah, like that, that's how they show that, right? And like for an American mm-hmm. audience, that obviously makes sense, like oh, something rural would be from the South and they have that draw. Right. And I've always like gone back and forth with that in my mind. It's like, is this really the best way of portraying this? Yeah, be a better yeah. Way of portraying it. But I can never think of a better, <laughs> better way of getting across like this is a different dialect, but it's the same language, but a different way of speaking. It's not like a Chinese dialect where it's a completely different language. It's just mm-hmm. like, they use different words here and there, and they talk a little bit different. That that was really bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> Ignore that. I might edit that out. But, but no, it's great. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I like I'll it. keep it. Yeah. <laughs> but um. yeah, it's. I don't know how how better you would translate. Tra- yeah, translate a Kansai dialect. Mm-hmm. But no, that's why it's it's always fun to hear accents um, in dubs. I think what was I think Dorara has that like big Russian dude, and he like talks like a heavy Ruski like this with accent. And yeah. it's like, oh, that, that's fun to hear. It's just fun to hear. Um, and yeah, that's exactly. why, like, there are a lot of times where I will prefer dubs. Um, like, yes, there's, of course, the whole, okay, I don't have to fucking read subtitles. But I like it when the voice actors are clearly having fun with their voice. Right. The mm-hmm. accents is a good point, too. And Final Fantasy fourteen, the MMO. I love mm-hmm. the dub in that because, like, all the races, all the societies, they all have various different accents. And that's completely utterly lost mm-hmm. for the most part in the Japanese voice acting because they only have so many variations of Japanese to work with, whereas mm. it's just so colorful and flourishes in the English dub. Doesn't fuck seem four like kids. Me like dub. <laughs> oh, also fuck four kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yes, uh, our next topic is about adaptations. And so we've talked about adapting a, an anime or a game from one language to another, but how about between mediums, which is coincidentally how much anime is created. And so... As many of you know, most likely anime typically comes from a manga or a light novel or a visual novel of some sort, and some adapt it better than others. And so we want to just kind of give our examples of times where we were really let down by an adaptation that we were really, really looking forward to, but also to counteract that with something that met our expectations or possibly even exceeded them. And so... Harry has some choice opinions on this yeah. in particular, so well, why don't we start I, with you? I, I mentioned this topic, so I've been watching the new series of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which I fucking love. It's really good. And there's a few scenes in there that are so iconic for manga readers. So the first one is the torture dance, 
where this antagonist is getting tortured by the the heroes and uh essentially they they play this in, in the manga they kind of do this weird dance as they're torturing him and it was like an iconic thing and everyone wants to see how it would actually play out in anime and they do this like remix of pussy patrol pussy control by prince I was about to say Pussy Patrol for some reason. That's not what it is. Uh, <laughs> Pussy Control by Prince. They do this remix of that and they dance to it. And it's like so, it's su- such a good ad- adaptation of the manga. It's so true to the source material. And then there's a moment later on that actually aired in recent episodes where Giorno defeats an antagonist and there's a seven page scene in the manga where he just punches him to death. And again, in the anime, they do this for 30 seconds and they really fucking indulge in it. And, and they do this... <laughs> proper seven panel shot where they go through it and it feels like they don't just skip it they they really uh make a huge deal out of it and it's absolutely flawless for manga and i just think that's really cool how they're just absolutely smashing it and just being really faithful to the source material and not cutting these iconic scenes out so yeah just made me happy i thought it'd be good to mention and what made you not happy one time (laughs) uh actually i since I don't read too much manga, I don't have an immediate answer for that, mm-hmm. which maybe I should have thought of. <laughs> I was busy napping before I had this All right. podcast. We'll, so we'll, was, circle, we'll circle back yeah. to you. <laughs> circle back to me later. Mm-hmm. All right. So then I'll go next and I'll start off with uh, what let me down. And so there was, there are two instances of this, but I'll talk about only one. So Rewrite, I don't know if either, either of you know about that series, but Rewrite was my second favorite visual novel of all time. It used to be my favorite until I read the house in Fata Morgana recently. And so rewrite is a key visual novel. Key is very well known for their kind of like Shakespearean formula of a comedic first half and like a tragic second half that utterly eviscerates your heart and soul. Uh, they've made things like clan ad angel beats, um, can cannon, things like that. And so I read rewrite, absolutely loved it. And the anime got announced at first. I was ecstatic about it. But then I looked at the studio and it was 8-Bit Studio mm-hmm. and 8-Bit wasn't particularly well known. Furthermore, they had just came off of adapting another visual novel, which I really liked called The Fruits of Grisaia. I really loved the visual novel of Fruits of Grisaia, but they totally butchered the anime. And so I was like, please, oh Lord, do not mess up rewrite. <laughs> and they had a pretty strong start. They had like an hour long premiere episode. It was pretty promising, but then it went downhill so fast because they did the thing where because as many people know visual novels are usually split into routes they are dedicated to a a specific girl or heroine in each route they go through the story and those routes are usually self-contained like they don't mix into each other and so one of the worst things you can do is just kind of go through those routes one by one by one in this in this sequence in this temporal sequence that doesn't make sense and that's exactly we'll come back to that Mm. (laughs) because it can be done but that's exactly what they didn't rewrite and they did it horribly, dedicating like one, maybe one and a half episodes to each girl before like getting into kind of like the true end route at the end. And I was so distraught through the whole thing. I was watching it with my friend that I always watch anime with. And she was so, she felt so bad for me because she could feel my pain from like across the <laughs> computer monitor because we watch on Skype, via Skype. And oh my God, I was still hopeful because the previous key uh key adaptation little busters it had a really rough first half but then in the second season during the true ending route like they really brought it home they hit all the emotional highs I'm like okay maybe they can do it with rewrite they didn't it was just horrible 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 i was really sad and so to wrap it around 
you can do the sequential routing well because clan ad did it very well mm-hmm. where they managed to slot them in in orders that made sense and relate them back to each other they didn't just kind of like drop each girl off the face of the cliff once they were done with them but rewrite didn't do that clan ad also gave them space to breathe uh rewrite was only a 13 episode first season oh and so yeah, okay was yeah really- i was gonna say like if you give them like an episode and a half to cover like whole story arcs that's uh yeah that's not good yeah exactly so i was horribly horribly disappointed by that and i have to think about a time an adaptation exceeded my expectations so in the meantime <laughs> kyle why don't we go with <laughs> give you now start with you now one of the biggest disappointments of <laughs> like just my anime just like japanese media like history was uh zero no sukaima um it it translated to the familiar zero so it was one of the first series i watched aired like back in 06 07 when sundere's took over the earth um the whole idea of sundere uh luis shana Shana and uh taiga (laughs) all voiced by the same person which is great i I love her uh but yeah so zero no sukaima was like i i really liked it like to start off with right because it's like oh okay it is an isekai but this is before the whole genre got like flooded to death um right. and it had this neat concept where it's like the 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 mc's power is that you can instantly understand how to operate a, like any weapon and weapons from our world have been transported over so like he'll like pick up a bazooka and like like fly a zero fighter and it's like oh it's neat and then you have uh louise the the female main character um and she is a witch and she like is one of the few people that can use this like fifth element that's like like void and just like completely fucks over the other four um and it's cool Mm -hmm. uh so it's really neat like just from like a world building perspective and how they deal with the mechanics but good lord fucking jc staff cannot keep their boners in their pants because like every (laughs) fucking season every fucking season it had to be tits out and harem and i i hated it i hated it so much because it ramped up with every season by season three i think it was like three episodes in where there's like a dozen women in bikinis and it's like all right did i, did I really need to watch this so, so was that was that in the source material no no it didn't okay <laughs> I, I oh boy very, i think you just had a stroke <sighs> i feel very strongly about this so it's, it's safe to say jc staff are your favorite company when it comes to anime they can they, they can be they they more often than not like barely reach the mark um but yeah so the thing that really frustrated me with the adaptation was like all right i stopped watching like back in 2010 2011 and it's like all right whatever uh and then i start seeing that i like a few years later i get like this notice like I, I find out that uh the original author had passed away and it's right. like oh shit well, like, what's up with Zero Mosekaima? Like, it's been a while. It might, maybe I'll try the light novel um, because I haven't, like, I didn't really give that a chance and it was still being, like, fan translated. Uh, so I checked it out and holy shit, it's a different fucking series because they, they completely, like, the harem elements are still there. Like, you can't get around that. It, it's, it's a fucking scene. So whatever. Like, that, that's, that comes with the territory. But, like, they, they tone it down, first of all. They don't make the main character into a horny bastard. And they mm-hmm. actually take the time to develop his and Louise's relationship and make it like 
more real and based off of interpersonal like like inter- interpersonal interactions instead of oh she's jealous and she's a cindere so yeah that was my long-winded way of saying Zuranosa kind of utterly disappointed me with its adaptation that really is surprising considering how the anime was yeah for sure it's so bad yeah. it's so fucking I, bad i will say i i thought the second <laughs> season was actually pretty good but i do agree the third season fell off a cliff and the fourth season kind of was there a, a season because four? it ended yeah, the, because after the author passed away, there was a fourth season that kind of wrapped it all up. And they they did an honorable job, I thought, of wrapping up a story that didn't have an ending. Like, it's not as bad as season three. It was pretty decent. It wasn't great, mm. but it was okay. All right. It, it's worth watching to have some closure for the series that will never happen. I don't know. I, don't know. I, 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 bury, I bury that fucking hatchet a long time that's, ago. That's fair <laughs> enough, yeah. Um, and then, yeah. I'll probably pick the light novel back up at some point, but God, yeah, it's just so bad. So fucking bad. <laughs> anyway, counteract- <laughs> oh yeah, go. Oh, I was gonna say like one of the adaptations that did make me fairly happy, right? Um, and I actually preferred uh, over the anime. I mean, the anime is still great, of course, but I really like the translation and localization of Bakamonogatari. Um, it's actually really, really good, and it of the original novel. You're talking of the original about. novel. Yes. Uh, I actually and- had a news topic on that that I didn't pick actually. oh yeah but yeah uh, basically uh let me go back and pull it up again but the monogatari series it is the second highest number of books with english translations in the u.s in the last 10 years as in like because the thing about the monogatari series is that they aren't considered light novels they are considered full-blown novels right yeah and so in the past 10 years like out of any language out there it's had the most English translations within the same series, or the second most Ooh. translations, English translations in the same series. What was if the you most? count? What was number one? It doesn't give number one. Uh. If you <laughs> if you count um, light novels, though, like there are plenty of other things that blow it out the water. Well, well but yeah, but I wouldn't yeah. like that. That's light novels, and like yeah, exactly. Bakamonogatari is an entirely different beast. Exactly. Just because, so back to your topic, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, like Bakamonogatari, like it, it's such a dense series um because there's so much wordplay there's so much like the 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 author um and like of course i haven't read the original japanese but like with the english translation like they make they do such a good job of making things relevant to in a to a western speaking audience i agree while still retaining a lot of the spirit of like because like so much of uh and the monogatari series is built off of japanese culture and mythology so it takes its time to kind of like give you context and i don't know like how much of this context does exist in the original japanese or whether or not like he knew that the audience would already know that offhand um but i appreciate like the way it's been translated because yes it feels like they're throwing like 500 different fucking concepts at me but it's it's accessible um so in that regard i i thought that was a really good adaptation i know the the books came first but having watched the anime series beforehand um i actually prefer the books right because the books are translated after the anime so for us it's an adaptation (laughs) yeah yeah for us it's an adaptation right and it's like honestly like reading or watching the series it's like i have to pause every five seconds to be like what the fuck is going on yeah and i agree i i've only read the kizamonogatari book the very first one and Mm -hmm. i was shocked by how well done and that's just a testament again to good localization and because look, translating and localizing that book was by no small feat, but it was definitely difficult, 100%. Mm-hmm. And so I've remembered 
what my good adaptation is. And so there was, there's the Tales of franchise. There was a little game called Tales of Hysteria. It was horrible. The gameplay was horrible. The story was horrible. <laughs> and so then when there was an anime announced for it, done by UFO Table, who's done like Fate Zero and Fate Stay 9 Unlimited Blade Works, like really well known for the high budget stuff. I'm like, oh, great. We're going to have this beautiful gilded piece of crap. I can't wait. And <laughs> I was shocked because it was actually phenomenal. And it was phenomenal because they basically ditched the entire original story of the game. What? <laughs> yeah, so... Basically, I like the, the Asteria. Only... Oh, you did? Oh, well, I like the Asteria's characters. Okay, well, the characters are still there, but they've completely revamped the story. Basically, the only similarities the story shares are the very opening cutscenes of when, uh, I'm blanking on her name, Princess Chick meets Slay, and they kind of escape together, and they go to the city. After that, it's completely different, and they rearrange events to where it makes more sense, there's more stakes, they flesh out the interaction between the characters much more dynamically. Wait, 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 wait. Are, you, are you thinking of the right Tales game? Zesteria? Zesteria and Miklio? Yeah, with Saray, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yes. There is an, it's called Tales of Zesteria, The Cross. It's an X, but it's pronounced The Cross for some reason. <laughs> because okay. there's, like a, there's like two episodes that feature Bazaria. Um, right, right, as well. right. And so... And that's another reason is because they are creating the anime with the Berseria content in mind. Whereas when Zestaria was being made, the original game, um, they did, I don't think they had Berseria in mind at that time. But then Berseria came along, which was a prequel technically, but a very relevant prequel. So yeah, anyways, the anime had that on mind. It just handled all the story elements, all the character interactions, all the character development much, 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 much more efficiently than the game ever did. And I felt way more attached to the series after that. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yay. So, yep, all, all we need then is, do you have a uh, show that you didn't like the adaptation of? Have you thought of one yet, Harry? I thought I'd end it on a high note by saying, I don't. I'm so okay. professional. Okay, anime is great. <laughs> awesome. I like Alrighty. anime. It's good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm Alrighty, so professional. So <laughs> that's going to bring it into our podcast then. Thank you for joining us. It was great. I love talking about anime. I love talking about games. And I hope you two do too. And I hope all of our listeners enjoyed it. Yay. So with that, we're going to sign off with our trademark sign-offs and Twitter handles. Not trademark sign-off. Well, I don't know. Whatever. It is. So, it is. I put a copyright request. In. Exactly, <laughs> it's trademarked <yes>. now. <laughs> all righty. So Harry, where can we find you at? You can find me uh, as a camboy online. No, you can <laughs> find me on Twitter. Harry underscore Morris underscore. Um, yeah, I, I tweet all sorts of shit on there. Feel free to follow me. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, I just thought we didn't talk about what games we've been playing recently. So I'm, I'm going to try and give you, what, okay, have I been, yeah. what have I been playing? I, I got did play, I played a little bit of, um, Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle on the Switch and it was actually pretty fun. I actually had a, quite a good time of it. Uh, so my casual game recommendation, as in I've played a little bit of it and it's decent, is Mario and Rabbids Kingdom <laughs> Battle for a couple of years ago. Because who cares about relevancy? <laughs> a good game is still good. Or it yeah. should still be good. A good game should still be good irrelevant to the time. Mm-hmm. That's a catchy All saying. Right. Yes. <laughs> All right, Kyle. All right, that's Kyle, our, that, that, That's Matt's trademark sign-off. Um, <laughs> no, I, I am at, like, the Rogue on Twitter. And for games that I've been playing, so it's very relevant to the whole, you know, a good game is still going to be a good game. I've been playing Fire Emblem Echoes Shadows of Valentia, and 
I forgot what a good Fire Emblem game was like. <laughs> um, especially after playing Awakening and especially after playing Fates. Yeah, so if you kind of got burned out on those two steaming piles of trash, um, I would highly recommend checking out Shadows of Valentia. Um, actually, what made me happy about a lot of the Three Houses gameplay is that they directly reference that, or they explicitly say they're taking a lot of mechanics from uh, Shadows of Valentia, which I right. would be very happy about because there's a lot of good stuff in there. Mm -hmm. I agree. We only have to wait a month and a half. Oh, God, it's so, so soon. It's so close. <laughs> And so you can find me at Musing Mojack, M-U-S-I-N-G, M-O-J-A-C-K. And I guess I'll give a game recommendation or what I've been playing instead of an anime. Uh, I've been playing Yoshi's Crafted World just because I felt Yoshi. like having a nice little mellow uh, platform mellow to play. Is it good? Yeah, it's yeah, it's absolutely very, very charming. Not difficult at all, but it's just... A good relaxing platform. Good, yeah, exactly. I'm having a good time with it. Mm -hmm. I'm almost done with awesome. it. Just a little break between Final Fantasy XIV and Shadowbringers comes out. Followed by Super Mario Maker 2, followed by Fire Emblem Three Houses, followed by Astral Chain, speaking followed of, by all these other games. Speaking of upcoming games, I am so excited for Super Mario Maker 2 because yep. I loved the first one on the Wii U and I'm really looking forward to this. Are you guys excited? I've got it pre-ordered. Oh, what about you, Kyle? I'm kind of whatever. Well, I, 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 I get, get it. it. I, I, I get why. Like, get it and share right. me your levels. Yeah. We can play each other's levels. And so nah, no, nah, I'm, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be dumping time fire. <laughs> <laughs> you can dump it into it from. You can. Never mind. Anyways. No, 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 no. Finish that thought. Finish that thought. I said you you can dump time into Mario for one month and then devote your life to fire and love up later. No, that's fair. There's a whole month in between. That's true. But yeah. Anyways. Right. <laughs> yes. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. Ciao.